Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. If my biggest constraint is churn as a company, sure, there's some big decisions that need to be made at the company level, in product, and so on. But maybe you don't control that. And the reality is we probably don't. So, okay, then how, what can I do as a marketer to help with churn? Wistia is a complete video platform that lets you make high-quality videos fast right in your browser. Record your face and screen, use AI to write scripts, even add background music. Try Wistia for free at wistia.com backslash millennials. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have Eva on the podcast. A little backstory about Eva. I was at a mastermind offsite with a bunch of marketing leaders, and I was hearing Eva talk about growth loops and growth levers. And I was just like, could listen to her talk forever about that. So I wanted to bring her on the podcast to talk about that. And I thought she can share some interesting perspective on this podcast. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Eva. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a fun mastermind. I wanted to get into first, how did you get into marketing? I don't know, a bit randomly. I started in finance. And uh, I liked numbers and data, but I didn't feel like they were telling a story unless they were kind of tied to some tangible, actionable decisions. And so when I was in CPG earlier in my career, I became an analyst, but for marketing. And I was like, oh, yeah, and that's more like it, you know, data driven, but yet it has like impacts on the brand or decisions what are we going to do to grow the market or expand our market share and so on. And it wasn't just uh, staying within the finance team. So uh, that was like my early uh, career jump over to marketing. And I guess I just stayed in that field for for a while. I, I think that's awesome. I think a lot of people who have one impact or one creativity in their life and they're in like a finance structured <laughs> role they gravitate to a marketing role where you can still do fun things with numbers, but you actually get to do something with those numbers, not just tell yeah. people what those numbers mean. Yeah, exactly. I know you're very passionate about growth loops and use it a lot in your strategy. So could you define what a growth loop is first for everybody? And then we can talk about how you think about implementing them in your organization or organizations you've been a part of? First, I'm going to credit Reforge because I think they're in the, the pioneer of this thinking. And I've, I've learned a lot from that organization, so I would check them out. But growth loops are a loop as opposed to a funnel. I think that's really where the distinction is, is to really think of growth and growth at being acquisition, monetization, and retention. So not just acquisition. But thinking of your growth as a system, and so how do you acquire a user, how do you monetize user, how do you retain them, and how does that then compound into reinvesting 
that money or that capital into more acquisition. So instead of being a funnel, which is very linear, in which you always have to invest more at the top, so you want more customers at the bottom, then you need more money at the top, you need more everywhere so that at the end of the day, at the end of the funnel, you have more customers. The loop concept, I think, challenges that idea in which you can find efficiencies in this circularity to accelerate growth that are not necessarily about just adding more, basically adding more capital. And so I think it's a more holistic view of growth. And I think it, from my perspective, it served me really well in scaling tech companies and scaling acquisition and monetization and retention so that you think of compounding systems as opposed to just linear growth. Can you go to an example that you use for a growth loop that you do today, how you think about that process of the loop? So let's say taking a typical SEO loop as opposed to an SEO funnel. So in a company-generated loop or where you are creating content, you know, the loop could start by, okay, you're creating content. The company creates content. Then obviously you want that content to rank on Google, most likely. So the first step is, for example, creating content. The second step could be, great, it's ranking. Therefore, it's driving traffic to this content. Then you have a certain amount of conversion into your leads or MQL or whatever the, the name is for, for, for that opportunity. And then some of these leads will convert into customers. And those customers will then generate some capital or revenue that you can then reinvest in creating additional content. And so step one can be wherever you want it, but at the end of the day, create content, distribute that content, get traffic, convert that traffic, make money, reinvest the money. Yeah, that's a simple example. And I wanted to also go into one thing that you talked about is at the mastermind, but how do you think about either reinvesting in an existing growth loop or deciding on a new growth loop to invest in in when you're coming up with a a marketing strategy that you're doing? I'm going to try to keep it simple. (laughs) Um, So one of the, the way I look at, at loops, I, let's say you join a company, I will map out what the growth system look like. So what are the channels that are being used right now? What is the average sales per customer, ASP or LTV, whatever metric you're using? Uh, How long do we retain customers? How fast can we reinvest that money into acquisition? So I will map this out. So then I have a clear understanding of how the company grows. And then that's the overall system. And then after that, each channel, just to make it simple, has their own loop dynamics. I gave one example for SEO. And so when looking at that SEO loop, I will zoom in into the biggest growth constraint. So at the surface, is it that we can't produce enough content within the loop cycle to then hit the growth expectations? Or is it that we could, but we don't have enough money to create more content? And so, you know, with time, you kind of realize patterns. And so by now I kind of take shortcut, but let's say you take, you you do it from scratch. Then I see the whole system. Great. We grow through SEO and affiliate. Perfect. The biggest growth constraint in SEO is we can't generate enough 
content to make the growth as big as we want, that be diving even deeper. And that's where I think the magic happens. Okay, well, why can't we generate enough content? Is it a matter of execution? Is it we don't have the right team? Is it that we don't have enough money? It's costing us too much. Uh, there could be so many questions to dive deeper into, into that constraint. And then that's to go back to your initial question. If I look at all my growth constraints in the company, maybe it's we don't monetize the customer well enough. I make $10 per transaction and the churn after three months. So basically, I just don't have enough juice to create more content. So wherever the growth constraint is, I think the question is, do I feel confident that I can move that constraint? And hopefully there's some yeses because it's easier, obviously, to move a constraint from a loop that you already spent years building than it is to launch a brand new channel or a brand new growth opportunity or growth loop. So I would always start by looking at a little bit of the low hanging fruits. Can we accelerate growth by optimizing for the existing loop? But if, say, we've been doing that now for two years, we're pretty efficient and we're hitting this diminishing return, then I would look at, you know, with time, you will hit diminishing return on your content. So the more content you create in a specific niche, the potentially less likely and the less traffic you'll get over time. And so you can go super wild and, and map this out like quantitatively if you have the resources, but it's, it's quite a, a heavy exercise. Or you could just like look at the constraint that you have, make hypotheses, and then decide that like, okay, I think it's going to be really hard to move the needle here because of the context, because of the budget, because of whatever. So then that's when I would ask the question, okay, do we tweak the loop entirely? So we need to change something drastic. So for example, instead of company generated, I would move to user generated. So can I get user screen content for me instead of me creating content? And then I might move my needle for the level or number of content created. So that could be, okay, I'm adding something new, but within the existing channel. And then the other option would be I'm launching a new channel completely, but that would require some understanding of how that channel will play within my existing growth ecosystem because it can't just live on itself. You'll still have to reinvest money into this channel and it still has to bring you some kind of circularity there. And that's obviously a lot harder to start, you know, net new. But if you are hitting diminishing return, you have like optimized for your growth constraints and within, you know, your, your, the knowledge of your business and the target audience and so on, you know, that it's going to be hard to get some additional breath. Then that's where I would be thinking about adding a net new road loop or a net new channel. One of the most powerful forces in a lot of things in life is momentum. And with a growth loop, that's what it really is. It's you're re keep reinvesting into a momentum, a channel that is giving you momentum. Even if it's slowing down, it's still moving. And sometimes if you think about doing too many channels, you're going to stop a wheel that was moving pretty well for you for a long period of time. And that's why focus, thinking like this is focus is the main priority. Also, I think a lot of people forget that they go immediately to blame the channel instead of thinking about all the levers that they can fix inside a channel to make that channel better. 
I think they just immediately say, oh, it's not doing X, so let's just stop it. Instead of thinking, have we looked at it as a retention play? Have we looked at it as middle play? Have we looked at it as top of funnel play? There's something still that we can squeeze juice out of this channel. What you're saying is a good example of growth holistically, right? Because a loop is by default, an acquisition loop. If you look at the URL edit like in isolation, you're going to make decision to tweak something that might not be the right decisions. If you're thinking of it as a system to what you're saying, where like, okay, maybe we're just not making enough money from our customer. And that is what is preventing you from growing through paid advertising, for example. Like you need to be able to see that system to understand, okay, my loop is I spend money, they convert on a website, I reinvest in ads, I have a CPC, and then and then and then it spins. Well CPC will like will just increase by default over time or cost per click because you will hit like that less qualified audience. You know that will happen. So is the loop that is the constraint that you need to optimize CPC? Or is it I need to make more money out of my customers so then I can allow myself to bid higher and therefore the constraint can just be moved from whatever, a $4 CPC to I can absorb an $8 CPC. And now you just like double the efficiency of that loop. So that's the danger with this thinking and even with just funnel thinking in general. It's like, okay, I need to optimize in this little micro ecosystem, but really maybe the best decision is like, oh, actually we need to increase pricing. And then boom, I just unlocked growth from multiple loops at the same time. A lot of marketing teams stick too far top of funnel and they don't think about, okay, you as a market marketing is everything in the organization. So they can touch, you can add more to the top or you can make the rest of that loop more efficient. And the loop doesn't stop at an opportunity or say, oh, it keeps going. Like, like you said, in the, in the loop. So, yeah. And I think a lot of people stop at, oh, I only can optimize to like lead to op or op to sale instead of, Thinking it holistically as a growth loop. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you can do as a marketer that will make you 10x more impactful. And one example, tangibly speaking, uh, that I have around that was when I was at Bench. We mapped all this model and the growth loops and whatever. And across all of our loops, churn was the biggest growth constraint. Because, because you use a loop system, if you have less money to reinvest in acquisition, then it's, it is either a matter of they're churning or it's a matter of they're not spending enough money in short. And we realize, okay, you know what? What's preventing us from growing as a company right now today is not like conversion rate from traffic to opportunity on the ads loop. It's actually churning because we can't reinvest fast enough and we're basically you know, struggling. And that actually led from bringing it all the way to back to marketing. Okay, if my biggest constraint is churn as a company, sure, there's some big decisions that need to be made at the company level, in product, and so on. But maybe you don't control that. And the reality is we probably don't. So, okay, then how what can I do as a marketer to help with churn? It's most likely going to go through better targeted uh, ICP. Okay, I can see that this ideal client profile is churning you know, 50% less. Okay, then how do I acquire that type of customer 
to fuel my loop, increase retention, and therefore just make the whole acquisition uh, much more efficient. So the model in the loop system is really like the framework to think, but then it's what you do after that has the, the most impact, I think. One of the biggest superpowers a marketer you can do as a marketer is get with finance and understand the levers in the business. And you came from a finance background, so you understand that, but also understand the holistic how businesses work, not just how marketing works. And I think a lot of marketers get trapped in only understanding their channel or only understanding marketing as a whole, but not understanding how marketing affects sales, how it affects CS, how it affects product, how it affects all the whole business. I think you get to, a lot of times because we're busy, you get too inundated with just thinking, what marketing is doing, but not, like you said, go and look at what channel is churning the most people, what ICP is churning the most people, and look at it as a holistic approach on how it affects the whole business, not just how it's affecting opportunities or sales. And obviously, if you have a go-to-market model that is hybrid between whatever product plan and sales uh, enhanced or just that is fully sales-driven, I think that's even more important because most likely the growth constraints will be at the comp at the in the middle between marketing and sales. And you can say, oh, the conversion rate from MQL to customer or MQL to SQL or is the, the the constraint. Okay, great. Chances are it's not just a sales problem. <laughs> um so okay, well then take it a little deeper. Is it the quality of the leads? Okay, so then what's wrong with the quality of the leads or what's wrong with the conversion? Oh, we're noticing that there's this pattern of conversion with this type of lead. Okay, great. And that creates like a momentum. Like that really usually fires people up because you really have collaboration. You're not isolating each other. Um, and you're, again, you're thinking of growth for the company. You're not just saying how much more Leads can I get on Facebook and, you know, and then that that's the end of the story. I also think that helps marketers get a bigger seat at the table, right. which a lot totally. of marketers don't have that seat because they just seen as a, a lead generating machine, not a, uh, not a growth machine, uh, which so, is. <laughs> and it's true. I don't know if like we even with this thinking, I've successfully shifted that image, but, uh, but you know, it definitely gave me more street cred and more, you know, more power to impact change across the business as opposed to just within marketing. I think marketing is main job is twofold. One is, is one put as much as you can that is, great on in in a funnel and then figure out how to convert it better down the funnel because you are ultimately besides having strs who are technically also lead gen machines too you have to think how but sometimes it's better to focus on the conversion path than putting too much atop because if the loop if there's a hole in the loop you're screwed 
and it doesn't matter how much you bring in the top because there's just going to be leaks everywhere in the fun, in the in the loop. I think you can model that, and that's the beauty of this system, right? It's like okay, if you think the biggest growth constraint is conversion at whichever step, then what does great look like? So, say today you have a two percent conversion from traffic to MQL, just shooting random numbers. Okay, and and you think that you can get it to five, which would be a huge, a huge bump. Well, what does that look like when you make this change on your growth trajectory? Because you can model that. Okay, I keep all the other variables equal. I move this variable in my growth loop from two to five. How much more MRR? How much more RR am I generating? Compared to if I add half a million session in traffic, for example. And that is also the, I think, the, the greatness of the system thinking. It's like you always should be working on the opportunity that will add the most value and the most growth for your organization. And that shouldn't be opinion-based. It should be data-based and it should be based on the systems or that holistic view that you have. And if it is indeed conversion and you could prove it, then you'll also get buy-in because it's no-brainer. And then you get resources and you get support as opposed to scrambling and doing a bunch of tactics across all of these different touch points. And then really you're not hitting a home run anywhere. <laughs> hey marketers, listen up. Wistia is my best kept secret for creating videos for your business. You can record and edit videos right in your browser and even use their AI to write your script. With Wistia, you can record your face and screen for videos like sales pitches, or product demo. And the video editor is pretty much foolproof. Seriously, you've got to check it out. Start creating videos for free at wistia.com backslash millennials. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com slash millennials. Say you're doing your strategy from, let's say, 2024. Yeah. You are mapping out all the growth constraints you have. You're saying, okay, this this has this left, this has this left, this has this left. How do you start now prioritizing? Because obviously there's going to be 15 things that you could pro- possibly fix. How do you start prioritizing and say, hey, marketing team, we're going to focus on these top three or these top four because they're going to move the needle the most for the organization? So I use a blend of the reforged thinking on loop modeling and from the strategy framework from playing to win from Robert Martin, they developed that framework at like Procter & Gamble. Uh, so it's a very like corporate strategy type approach, but I don't know, I find my own, found my own groove by adapting it to, to tech and, and combining that growth thinking. So I always start with even before modeling growth constraints, what is our winning aspiration for next year? Is it growth in terms of ARR? Is it MRR? Is it, you know, number of customers? And I ideally do that as a company. What are we optimizing for? Because that will have an impact on the choices I think that you're making as a marketer. So for example, if you're saying, okay, 50% growth in MRR is the goal. Probably every SaaS company out there has 100%, 150% growth in the MR. Let's say that's the, the the target. 
Then my second step would be identifying those growth constraints. So doing the work that we've been talking about. Okay, right now in my marketing mix or in the organization, here are the biggest growth constraints. Then it's about, okay, now we know what we want to achieve. What's our winning aspiration? We know like what's preventing us from hitting that aspiration. And the third question that I always ask is, okay, who can we win convincingly win with and for? And that would be your audience. And so now I would, if not, we already ideally have ICPs, but I would define very clearly where should we play and who can we convincingly create value for? Because then that will also influence the decisions that we're going to make after. So now that I have, okay, what's our what's our goal? How are we going to win? Here's our biggest growth constraint. And then we want to target these folks because we know we can create the most value for them. Then you go into generating possibilities. Now you have this context, you have this framework. Then you can generate a set of however you want. You can go as wild as you want and then narrow eventually. But at the beginning, I like to have a more like open process. Okay, what are the things we could be doing to address these four or five biggest growth constraints. And then we're not talking about all the constraints. We're talking about like the four or five, maybe the two or three that could have a drastically outsized impact on growth. You have a flesh, flesh out a bunch of possibilities. Okay, we can launch TikTok ads. We could, I don't know, we could launch a reseller partner program. We could blah, blah, blah. We could double down on web conversion optimization. Whatever the, the, the growth constraint is, you have your set of possibilities, and then you test those possibilities against a few different factors. What are your core capabilities? Because do you even have the resources to execute against that initiative? Because you can might say, amazing, we're going to launch a reseller program, and you have nobody that's doing partner marketing or partner program. Okay. Well, it doesn't mean you can't do it, but this is going to be net new growth loop, and this will mean more investment, more risk. And we don't have the core capabilities. So I would just break it differently than ones that we already have. So do you have the core capabilities? Uh, you can use ICE if you want, but what are the, the, the risks associated with that? What would be the timeline for impact? Um, what's the effort required? Um, again, do you have the money? Do you have the resources to execute against those ideas? And then I would narrow those further, probably some will be weeded out immediately. <laughs> like, yeah, we don't have a partner program person and we don't have money. Okay, then we will park this one. Now you're probably coming down, I don't know, with maybe four or five, 10, depending on the size of your team and organization, possibilities that could be real, that are tied to your audience, that are tied to your growth constraints, that are tied to your ultimate goal. And from there, I would ask the one killer question, which is, what would have to be true for this initiative to be the best possible choice for us? And then the team would map all the constraints and the things that could go awfully wrong. So I think that like the customers won't be on this channel or what has to be true is that my customer, my audience has to be there. I think what has to be true is that there's not a lot of competition and they're not gonna be bidding, outbidding us for this segment of the market if we were to launch whenever. So this is rigorous and it needs a lot of thinking, but what do you have to prove and what has to be true for this to be a terrific choice? Probably weed out a few others that might be too big of constraints or too uncertain. And then that's what your Q1 plan of attack looks like. All right, 
I have like four or five initiatives that made all this cut, but I still have constraints and, and potential barriers that might be a risk for us to be successful. And I would design Q1 as the experimentation against those barriers. So if I think that in order to scale TikTok ads, I need to hit these type of metrics to prove that this channel is viable for us, great. This is the objective of Q1. It's not like 10x growth in customers. It's we're testing this new loop. Here's what I need to hit to make this loop work for our business. That is a Q1 target. And then you have your holistic strategy for the year, roughly. You know, we're going to do this and this and this, but you also have like an action plan to make sure and validate that strategy so you don't go on a complete tangent and just keep trying to push a square into a triangle. I think the way you aligned it and said it is makes it so you actually go through the thought process of a one. I, I think one of the biggest things is people say launch a TikTok channel, then nobody's ever run a TikTok ad, and then you don't have the resources. But I, I think thinking all these restraints, like do we have a budget restraint? Do we have resource constraint? Do we have time constraint? Do we have all these things that you could think about that could possibly? But also sometimes you might have a constraint that isn't, as risky as you you think is the constraint. So you're just going to, it's basically be looking at your risk profile and saying, am I willing to take this risk? Am I willing to take that risk? Also, what's the upside and what's the downside of taking this risk? If, if yeah. I go down this, this path. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. But I think the way you, you, you said it with first looking at what is the goal where we can win as a company and then breaking it down as now here are our levers that we have as a, a marketing team, not what's our constraints as a marketing team. And then going down the going down that process helps. And then ideally you, when you present it to whoever, because you might need to justify it that you, you always kind of bring it back to this data driven decision-making because if you're like, okay, I have a paid ad loop. Right now, one of our constraints is cost per click. We're only doing search ads. It's really becoming expensive. We can't spend more because we don't have enough revenue, but we're not, we don't have any short-term solution for that, for like monetizing more. So okay, we're stuck. What could we do? Brainstorm, think of ideas, generate possibilities. One of the possibilities that comes up is okay, we could expand this loop and you know add TikTok because we believe the CPC will be lower. And here's the conversion that we think we can expect from this you know, tweaked loop or additional loop. And when I put the strategy together, for example, for Q1, it'd say, great, here's why. Obviously, I picked TikTok. And that makes a lot of sense. It's hard to debate because, oh, I know that I have my audience's interior designers, and I know that there are, there's this TAM on TikTok. So I know they're there. And I need to reduce my CPC. I'm launching TikTok. It's going to be cheaper. Now, what has to be true is that I can hit a certain level of conversion to lead or MQL so that it actually is worth the investment. So then in Q1, for example, you could set your targets around that growth loop. Okay, I need this CPC or whichever other metric, and I need this conversion. And then if I do that, then I'm going to get exactly the output that I modeled in my growth model. Because that's 
that's just what I've, I've, I've established. And if I don't, then obviously you don't get the expected growth, but at least you, you know where you're going and it's easier to put together a forecast. And I'd argue that it's always a pain in the butt when you get top-down forecast. So with this, you can literally give back a bottom-up forecast that's based on tangible initiative. Sure, there's a bunch of things that's gonna go wrong, but like, at least you have a framework. How do you balance faster loops versus long tail loops? Like SEO is gonna take way longer to pay off, but you know, in your in six months, nine months, 12 months, two years, you're gonna see payoffs versus, you know, if you put money in Meta, for example, you're gonna see X return. So how do you balance the two speed flow? Uh, it's a good question. It's <laughs> not uh, that straightforward. And I'm sure there's many other ways to think about that, but the way that I've approached it, I, I measure, I, I pick the same time period to measure my return on the loop. Otherwise, it's like comparing apple to oranges. So it's if I'm looking at a loop and I'm retur- I'm looking at a monthly return cycle, then I could look at multiple months. So say I'm looking at my growth horizon or my growth potential over two years, but I'm measuring in months. And I think that that can help SEO. <laughs> Because over time, it'll compound. So for example, in the formula, I don't want to get too too detailed, but in the formula of the SEO loop, you consider that the content that you have on the site is getting, the amount of content is increasing. So if the formula is from the certain amount of content that I have, I'm generating an average number of sessions. Well, over time, if I have 500 articles, 600 articles, 700 article, 800 article, then by default, that will increase the traffic and therefore will generate returns that will compound and most likely would outpace paid quite quickly. Well, depending on your loop, but could be what, six, six months, 12 months. And I think you could, you could demonstrate that. You just need to be thinking it a little bit more about how you want to model it. I also... When I used to, because I used to run marketing ops, is the metric I like to look at channels specifically is our is our blended CAC and CAC payback in good places. If blended CAC and CAC payback are good places, you could invest more and more. If they're not, then you have to start thinking about changes to make. But if you look at things holistically, like you're saying, in, in metrics wise, okay, our CAC payback is pretty good. Our blended CAC for all these channels are doing well. You also obviously have to dive into channel specifics too, but if blended CAC's good, you can invest in something longer to be able to be able to see returns. If it's not, then you have to think about how do I fix that growth loop or not fix that growth loop. Totally. Um, that I just started to experiment with that this year, but it's been serving us well, specifically for SEO. Like I've been looking at net new content payback. So every time, say we have created content in January, cohort of content, it'll take it'll take time, but it, if we do our job well, eventually it'll drive traffic and eventually it'll drive some leads. Uh, cohort, because that doesn't mean they're all 
you know, bottom of the funnel or they're all like meant to drive a ton of leads, uh, might be just more traffic or so on. But I think looking at like cohort-based CAC on SEO. So I produced those articles in January and by whatever, June, six months later or July, depending on the size and the rain authority, you know, I recovered all my payback because I drove X amount of customers, X amount of leads. And then it cost me at that January cohort, $5,000 to produce this content. That's been a great way for me to demonstrate the impact of SEO because it's compounding, obviously, but it's also I'm demonstrating the isolated effect. And some cohorts don't have the same level of payback. Then you have blended. But still, I, I can show that on on average, most of the time I get payback on the new net new content created within six months, eight months, 12 months. And that just gives you some good munition to compare it against channels like paid, which have. Hey, you also could benchmark against that because if your hypothesis is right, that payback period should shorten as you produce more and more content. So yeah, at yeah, first it's a really it good might be. It might be eight months, but if that's your baseline at first, then you can say, yeah. okay, it was eight months and we decreased eight months to four months of content payback. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and that would give you some love for SEO for a fixed yeah. <laughs> The last question I have for you is what is a marketing hill you would die on? Well, I have a few, <laughs> but uh, I would definitely die on optimizing and working on what matters most and therefore what is your biggest growth constraint and like aligning with other teams that this is the biggest growth constraint. Because what I see too often is, oh, well, product is going to go optimize this thing and sales is going to go optimize this thing. And like at the end of the day, they're so trivial compared to maybe the biggest growth constraint that could be a huge unlock for the business. I will die on that hard and I will refuse the hat of just being purely lead generators. <laughs> I think that's great because I think like we said before, gives you the seat at the table first and second, it aligns the whole business. I remember we were producing a lot of leads in a certain ICP that we thought is a great ICP sales was selling it, but the biggest growth constraint we had was that a product couldn't serve that ICP to the same level as the IC, other ICP. But if we didn't, if we didn't recognize that, we would have just kept dumping money into ICP that would churn later. So we kind of tapered back that ICP till product got to a spot where we can handle that, and we then we could ramp up that ICP. We knew it worked from a acquisition point of view but i mean if it works from an acquisition point of view is going to work on a product point of view or a um, cs point of view or any other point of view so yeah totally and that's a great example of that and I, I think it also shuts down the conversation like why would you want me to go optimize for more leads of this icp when i can prove with data that like there's such a bigger burning opportunity which is maybe not this ICP or like different pro product uh, improvements. Yeah. And you also could say, okay, if that is a big opportunity, then we have to 
invest in fixing that product constraint or that CS constraint or whatever constraint you have. Um, if yeah. it is a big opportunity, like you said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lastly, where could people find you and what you're doing and follow you? Um, on LinkedIn or uh, for those who are familiar, Reforge launched a sub product called Artifacts. So it's, you know, documentation of a lot of like uh, leaders in tech uh, and specific artifacts of what they've done. So I've published a bunch of artifacts there uh, that might be helpful for for some folks, hopefully. So I think those would be the two places. I kind of like that name. I got to go look at Artifacts. Right. Is a cool name for that's yeah. the branding right there. There must be marketers who handle that. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty uh, smart cookies out there. I think it's a it's a catchy name. Well, thank you so much for being on and sharing your knowledge, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. I really appreciate it. I hope that your audience finds it useful. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.